0: And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the news te- tips, techniques, and it- can we just start over? Ah, we'll fix it in post. News, tips, techniques, and advice you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening, and it's the funnest meeting of the entire year. It's the annual holiday networking party and best and worst deals of the year contest. Folks from the Greater Cincinnati area will be coming out to compete over who has the best deal of the year, the worst deal of the year, the best deal by a new investor, and the most creative deal of 2014. And some of those winners will be appearing here in the next couple of weeks on Real Life Real Estate. So even if you can't come to the meeting tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at the Community Action Agency building at Langdon Farm and Reading, you will still get to hear about their triumphs and tragedies here on Real Life Real Estate. You can get more information about the meeting, which is open to everyone at CincinnatiREA.com. That's Cincinnati. Reia dot com. Speaking of which, uh, at the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs meeting last night in Columbus, uh, we had our own Best and Worst Deals of the Year contest, and one of the competitors in Best Deal of the Year uh, made a made a big point about how, in making her Best Deal of the Year, she didn 't really a hundred percent know what to say uh, to the to the seller in in this deal that 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 turned out to be a fairly creative uh, setup and that she in fact just memorized certain things that that one could say to a seller when certain situations came up. And, uh, she, she worked her way through the entire deal just by sort of going back to her little library of things that she had written down to say to sellers, uh, and saying them when the situation seemed appropriate. And that put me in mind of the idea that a lot of folks get real concerned about or, or, uh, teach about Theory of negotiation, right? We hear a lot of stuff about. Well, you know, you got to build rapport. You got to, um, you know, uh, play. You know, split. And you know, if they're at one hundred twenty-five thousand and you're at a hundred, or they're at one hundred seventy-five thousand, you're one hundred twenty-five thousand. You should split the difference at one hundred fifty thousand. And little, little. Uh, um I don't know, more philosophical <laughs> concepts like that, and that it is true that there are certain things that really you could just, like, memorize and write down and and just pull them out of a hat when the situation arose. And that put me in mind of the fact that my partner, Mr. Drew, uh, has at, at various times uh, written almost entire books about this exact situation, and I thought to myself, well, you know what, we should just... Get on the air and give people some stuff to say. We're not talking, not talking about you know theoretical. Just we're going to talk about things to say, when you say them and why. And if you will write them down and just sort of keep them on a notepad, they will come in really, really handy for you. So this is a this is a tools, not a theory, uh, show this evening. And uh, joining me by phone is. Mr. Drew, I hope Mr. Drew, yes, are you there? I am okay. Uh, Uh, I, I, I absolutely uh, yes. We can, we can hear you. Um, The uh, the show tonight is going to be eight eight separate things that that you know we sort of came up with that that you say to sellers all the time that that Mm -hmm. because even I mean you've been in the business for what twenty years now.
2: A little over here.
1: Yeah. Talked to, I'm sure, ten thousand sellers.
2: A jillion, yeah.
1: And when we come back, when we when we when we look at these conversations, you still come back to these things over and over and over again. It's not like you're reinventing what you're saying to sellers every day.
2: No, it, it, I I find myself saying. You know the same things kind of over and over and over again um, because they work. I mean, they they didn't necessarily start out all perfected and elegant. And you know, now what I have is is kind of a, a quiver of lines, and I can pull one out that has already been refined because I've tried it you know a hundred or a thousand times, and I've uh, kind of got it down. You know, I don't I don't want to sound you know like I'm oh I'm Joe Smooth, but um, you know, you can sound really intelligent and like an expert when you've said it, you know, when you've said the line over and over again. So there are um, circumstances where, where the lines just work, you know, and it can either be like you're trying to get a concession or you're trying to ease into a difficult part of the conversation or what have you. Um, the uh, One of the things about kind of the practicality of negotiation is that an awful lot of people are terrified of it. Um, for a lot of people, the sort of head-to-head negotiation is hard. It's difficult and frightening. And and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, but, you know, I understand that that's, that's one of the big fears along with public speaking and stuff like that. Um, and I think for a lot of people, the The reasons kind of broadly fall into a few categories. Negotiation is not a very big part of the American culture, only certain negotiations under certain very specific circumstances. And those are kind of limited to, you know, car lots and yard sales. And then it's okay, apparently. But the rest of the time, uh, people are afraid of being perceived as cheap or like they can't afford it or that they are a chiseler in some way. And that's unfortunate because through that kind of, uh, through the process of the, the negotiation, the best possible deal for both parties is arrived at. It, it's kind of like here in, in the U.S. You know, we have sort of a checks and balances government that's sometimes very confrontational with each other. And the idea is that out of that conflict arises the best possible law. Now, we can talk about, you know, on a different show <laughs> what actually happens there. But that's the theory. So negotiation should be fun. It should be enjoyable. Um, but the other reasons that people are terrified of it is that I think in a lot of cases, from from the people that I've spoken to and the students of yours that I've spoken to, a a lot of them are afraid that sort of in the thick of things, they are going to make a bad deal. Like they're going to get so caught up in the tactical situation that they will forget the strategic situation. And... You know that is certainly a solvable problem by setting limits. Um, the, people are also afraid of any kind of rejection. You know Some people take the rejection very very personally, and that can be a tough thing for a real estate investor when most of the most of the time when we go to bat, we strike out. That is the nature of real estate investing. You know, we're looking for a specific kind of deal at a specific kind of price. And our our acceptable range is actually kind of narrow in, in a lot of ways. So most of the time, we're not going to get that deal. And that just crushes some people. Whereas if I sit down across the table from a buyer or seller or whatever, you know, a counterpart, if you will, and we talk it out for a while and we don't come to an accord Fine. I'm perfectly willing to, you know, shake hands and say, OK, well, I'll be back in touch. Good luck with it. And I'm, I mean, I'm disappointed that I didn't get that particular deal, but I'm not sort of beating my breast and saying, oh, my Lord, I screwed that up. If only I feel so bad. Let me replay it in my mind. A hundred thousand times looking for what I did wrong. You know, hey, come on, you know, get over it and move on and, and look for the next one. You with me so far? I feel like I'm doing all the talking, which is weird between us.
1: Mm. I'm making the Marge Simpson sound. I'm not doing it well, but I'm I'm making the Marge Simpson sound. Uh okay, so so people are uncomfortable with negotiation, sometimes out of fear. Sometimes it's not sometimes it's not even discomfort it's that they're not good at it <laughs> like they they can they can they can uh they're losing deals sure. because because they because they because they aren't saying the right things and by the right things i'm not saying there's like some magical thing that you can turn an unmotivated seller into a motivated seller but um uh i was i i, I spoke uh a little bit earlier to a wholesaler who didn't know i was a whole, who didn't know I knew he was a wholesaler who was uh, trying to buy a house from me, uh, mm-hmm. one of my actual properties that I actually own. And uh, I said, I said, so are you a wholesaler? And he said, I, uh, uh, I, uh, well, me and, you know, some like there's some partners and like some people that, you know, I, I like, I do, you know, I, I business and. And did you let
2: him off the hook, or did you let him squirm?
1: <laughs> that's well and and that's 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 an example of of what I mean about you you don't have to be smooth right i mean you, I'm not, no one no one here is saying that you have to become an expert negotiator and never sound like you're unsure about anything, but you know by golly you ought to have an answer to people's obvious questions like that and and what I came away from it with of course was. Not only is this guy a wholesaler, he wants to lie to me about it, mm-hmm. and he doesn't even know what to say, right? When I when I ask him if he's a wholesaler, so he must be fairly new, and thus I don't even trust that he would be able to wholesale the house. So it it's not about it's not about perfection. It's not about always having the answer because sometimes what you have to say is you know what I don't have the answer to that, but I know where I can get it, and. Let's let's move on, and I will absolutely get you the answer to that question and get back to you. But it is about. Um, somewhat- Wait a minute. Let
2: Let me stop you there a second. You mean you mean to tell me that it's possible to be honest about it and not look like an idiot when you don't know the answer?
1: Hey, you're not interviewing me.
2: <laughs> no, you're not allowed to trying- ask the questions. No, I'm just trying to emphasize the point.
1: So. So, just, you know, just generally about negotiation, everybody who's listening, uh, relax. You, you, it's, it's honesty is better than, than not honesty, than, than stumbling around and sounding like you're lying. Um, yeah, all that stuff about rapport building and so on is really true. But today we are focusing on, eight things that you can say in various situations that're just going to make this a lot easier for you and when you see what they are and when you say them and why you say them you will start to understand the bigger picture of negotiation however first we have to take a quick break this is your chance to grab a pen and paper or your iPad or cell phone or wherever you take notes because this uh, it's going to come at you fast after the break if you have any questions you can give us a call at 877772 uh, sorry. So eight seven 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 two. Yes, nine six five eight. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones Cox. My guest today is Mr. Drew, and he's just going to share with you. Eight things, eight phrases that he says to sellers over and over and over and over again, including w- in what situation these things are said and what the purpose of it is. So, hopefully, you got out your note-taking implement. Please don't do this if you're driving in your car. But hopefully, you got out. You can Get some podcast. You can listen to the podcast later. Um, the uh, the. Uh, uh, you're gonna write down the phrase and then he's going to explain when it's used and why it's used. Okay, so what is the number one thing that you say to sellers very commonly?
2: So you want me to start with the phrase itself and then go and then explain the yeah, circumstances just, just under s- which say, it's
1: used? Say what the phrase is so that okay. folks can write it down and then we'll talk about the rest of it.
2: Okay. Are you saying that if I can't do X dollars, we just can't do business?
1: Are you saying that if I can't do X dollars, we just can't do business? Okay. Yeah. At what point during the negotiation is this happening? Is this on the phone? Is this in person? when When is this being
0: said?
2: well it's it's often happening on the phone because we do uh, a whole a whole you know information gathering thing and a soft offer on the phone. And we also find out the seller's asking price and generally try to see how much flexibility they have on that asking price so we can see if we're even in the same ballpark. Uh, you know, from time to time, it happens in person, too, if we're, if we're just still that far apart. But here's the circumstance, right? Someone, You talk to someone on the phone and they say, you know, oh, I want, we'll just make the math easy, oh, I want $100,000 it's a you know because you're you're a reasonably well trained real estate investor who's been to rea and that kind of thing you trot out okay well what could you take you know for all cash well maybe i could take you know 95 or 98 well what could you take for all cash in a quick closing well maybe then i could take 95 well what you know i'm i'm not really there uh you know what's the least that you could take and feel like you were you know, getting the steel off your back and leaving the table with your skin intact. No, um, I'm 95 is my bottom dollar. It is when they have either straight out announced or done something to indicate that you are now at their bottom dollar, and they're kind of digging in their heels and don't want to budge anymore. So the purpose of this phrase is to kind of undig their heels, if you will, to nudge them. So instead of that that price being set in stone, it becomes flexible again. So the the sort of expanded version that, that I would say there in, in our example of the seller being dug in at $95,000, so I would say, so you're saying that if I can't do $95,000 exactly, that we just can't do business. Even if I could maybe come close to it, you just don't even want to hear that offer because it's not every penny of $95,000. And what you will get from that 90% of the time is some kind of softening, some kind of movement where they will either say something like, well, I mean, no, I'm not saying don't even bother to tell me or it would depend on how close it was, or, well, I don't know. I mean, what what kind of number are you thinking about? And then you can come back soft and say, well, I don't know exactly, but I just know that 95 doesn't sound like you know a starter for me. So you're not necessarily trying to get them down to some specific number. You are trying to unfreeze them from the number they've already set.
1: Or have them say, "Yes, I'm absolutely saying. If you can't give me ninety-five thousand dollars, I'm not going to sell my house. In which case, you know,
2: sure, and that's <laughs> happened. You know, it's it's not all that common, though. You know, but I will admit that it has happened, and that's a useful piece of information to have too, right? Because if if they're like, you know, by God, I want one hundred and twenty percent of what the house is worth." You know, and and they do freeze at that price and can't be moved. All right, then, then I guess we're kind of done here.
1: So this yep. is this is the last in a series of trying to get them to the bottom dollar. The 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 classic uh, is that the best you can do. What can you yeah. take for all cash and a quick offer? And then at the point at which they say, "Yep, that's it." Then the phrase, "Are you saying that if I can't do X, we can't do business?" Because the Answer there is only yes or no. I either am saying that in which case <laughs> hopefully their price is pretty close to what you want to pay yeah. uh or or they say well no I'm not saying that in which case you know you're not actually at bottom dollar.
2: Exactly because it's a big sort of emotional crossing of the Rubicon it's it's, it's the seller kind of they feel like they're burning a bridge. You know, and if they say I am saying that if you can't pay every penny of 95, then I don't even want to hear what you have to offer. So that's difficult to do, so that what they do is back up from that statement a little bit.
1: All right, so that's phrase number one. What is phrase number two?:
2: The only way I can help you at that price is if you'd consider a takeover payment deal.
1: The only way I can help you at that price is if you consider a takeover payment deal.
2: Yeah, and at- let let me explain those circumstances. Uh, you know, we we've all been faced with that with that situation where, you know, be, because of the circumstances whatever they are, it doesn't make sense as a cash deal. It doesn't make sense as a run out and originate new financing deal. It the, the only logical way someone could could do this deal is to you know, get wrapped around in some manner the existing financing on the house. Um, so, but what this does is it, it, it's serving a couple of purposes. Um, one is, if that's the truth of the situation, then why not just say that? You know, say it in uh, a not confrontational, but a fairly direct way, a simple and easy to understand way, Right? And the, the second thing that it does is, when I when I start talking to a seller about any kind of financing, I very deliberately start in the general. I don't want to be specific. I am not going to say to a seller, the only way I can do this is to do a sub two or even to, you know, start to to take it over subject to your existing mortgage. Uh, or you know a wrap around or a wrap land contract or whatever. What I want to do is start very general and sort of let them dip their toe in that pool, get them get them at least curious and non-resistant to the concept, and then we'll discuss the actual mechanics and what that's really going to look like and what have you. But I'm not asking them to necessarily commit. uh, what I'm doing is trying to get them to ask the next question because if I say the only way I can help you at that price is if you consider a takeover payments deal, what I am looking for them to say is well what do you mean or what would that look like or how would that work because if they say those things that means that they haven't said well hell no.
1: You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today about the eight things that you can say to sellers, giving you eight specific phrases that you're going to use over and over in common situations with sellers. We're going to be back right after the break. If you have questions, you can call at 877-772-9658 or email askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Mr. Drew, just giving giving you eight things that you can say to sellers. It's so rare on the radio that we can actually like hand you tools that you can just like go use and not have to go get out a calculator or further research or whatever. But today's the day we are up to phrase number three of Mm -hmm. eight, which, uh, yeah, we've got like 20 minutes left of the show. So we might speed this up a little bit. (laughs) Uh, what is phrase number three that you commonly say to sellers?
2: I don't think you want to hear what I can pay you.
1: And at what point in the negotiation is this happening? Have you already seen the property? Or are you still on the phone? Just talking? What What has happened?
2: Well, often it is, you know, on the phone. Uh, because, again, we, we generally make a soft offer um, before before we take it any further. But sometimes it is... You know, when you actually have seen the property and it turns out that it's maybe a little worse than the seller uh, related to you on the phone, either because, you know, they're suffering from that selective blindness that comes with wishful thinking and, you know, seeing the property all the time and they tend to forget the ten thousand small problems that it has, and they go well. Yeah, it needs a roof and windows. So other than that, it's pretty good. And you walk in and you go, well, except there's exactly. no kitchen, <laughs> yeah. and and every every single item in the house needs attention. Um, but it, yes, indeed, it needs a roof and windows. On top of that, uh, so this is this is one of the most important phrases there is. That's why it's in the top three, because it's incredibly difficult and for people to build up the courage to make the offer of 20 when the seller's asking 40 or 50. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that what a lot of people do instead is that they don't make an offer. <laughs> they maybe don't return the call. They they just let it drop because they can't conceive of how they're going to you know actually get spit out their number without dying of embarrassment or being so afraid of making someone angry uh, that they'd just rather, you know, pretend like they're just going to concentrate on the next deal. And this is the way to bridge that. What you're doing is you're basically asking their permission to lowball them. Well, not necessarily lowball them. It's not like you're you're trying to cut their legs out from under them. But you're getting their, their, um, their agreement in advance and their understanding in advance that you're going to trot out a number that's going to be a little shocking to them. So you're sort of putting them on notice. And the, here's the whole point. You know, I say to you, I don't think you want to hear what I can pay you. And you go... Well, no, yeah, I do, and, and I'm gonna say, oh, you know, Vina, I I know you want fifty, but man, I can't even come close to that, and I I don't want to make you mad. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I mean, I have a number in mind. There is, I've already figured out what I can pay, but I just got to tell you, it's it's not anywhere really near your number, so I I don't know if you want to hear that or not and of course she wants to hear it it doesn't matter whether she'd consider it or not of course she does want to hear it so she's going to ask Venus going to ask me to tell her and then I'm going to and she's not going to get mad because she asked for it you know so it is what people are afraid of in this particular scenario is dropping the bombshell right so we're
1: so it's a it's a way of making them make you tell them what you can pay when that number is not close to what they think they have to have.
2: Exactly. Go ahead and twist my arm. Okay. You know, and, and then I'll tell you. And you know, the the mere fact of, of speaking that phrase kinda of gives them a heads up. You know, so they can emotionally brace. <laughs>
1: Okay, so I don't think you want to hear what I can pay you as number 3. What is number 4?
2: If it's okay with you, I'm just going to come out there and make you the highest offer I can, and you can tell me if it works for you.
1: Okay. So I assume this is on the phone since yeah. you're saying when I come out there?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is this is done on the phone, and this is when, you know, you're still kind of working on a range when when you don't necessarily have a hard offer yet, but uh you feel like you're within some kind of strike price um you know within some kind of range that you think there's something that can be done but sometimes you know seller sometimes sellers are all like well no just tell me what you can pay right now and obviously you can't without seeing the property um and so what you're what you're saying is look let's get close and then i'm going to come out there and and i'm just going to give it to you straight and there are a couple things that you're trying that you're using this phrase to accomplish here too. Um one is that you're you're being forthright with them and you're sort of setting the stage for that, right? That uh, hey, I'm a, I'm a straight shooter and I'm just going to come out there and and tell you what it is. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh the the second thing is when when you go out there, you can reiterate to them the reasons for your offer. So what you do is you you don't beat up the house, except you kind of do, but you tell them you're not, and you say, well, here's the rationale for my offer, and you know there it is. So um, the it what you're you you present the offer and you're just saying look I'm not I'm not trying to get involved in a big negotiation I'm not trying to you know lowball you and wind up somewhere in the middle so part of what you're trying to do is not invite a counter it's it's almost like it's a very soft way of saying well take it or leave it if you will does uh, that make sense
1: and and I think uh, what a lot of folks who uh are relatively new in the business or don't do a lot of negotiating, you know, people people who who lean on their agents to find them deals a lot and so don't talk to sellers very commonly. And even some people who've been around for a little while, uh, I've seen that they don't quite get is that the sellers more more scared of the negotiation than you are. Like they're oh, they're, they're, they're they're afraid that they're trying to like second guess you. Like like okay, so when they come out and they make an offer then they're just trying to get me to come back at something else. And so we can split the difference. And I know you're going to deal with that in a minute. But um, the, the, I think saying this makes people go, oh, thank goodness. I don't I don't have to. He's just going to give me the best offer he can. And that's it. And I don't have to I don't have to go back and forth and all that stuff. So that's that's good. That's a relief. I've There's that, you know, now I can just worry about am I going to get the price for my house that I need? Not am am I the seller going to mess this up by, you know, countering too low and he would have paid me more and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, uh number 4 is a good one. And again, for those of you who are in fact taking notes, number 4 is if it's okay with you, I'm going to come out there and make you the highest offer I can and you can just tell me if it works for you. Number 5.
2: Well, I tell you what. I can do that if so, you know, the if depends on the circumstances, of course. But the the point here is you actually mentioned uh, some of the negotiation theory earlier about splitting, right? You know, they, they want 100 and whatever you said, 150, and you want to pay 100 and you should wind up at 125. And generally, except under very specific circumstances, I am not a fan of splitting at all. Uh, I think splitting generally gets people gets both parties what they don't want instead I'm I am a bit much bigger fan of horse trading you know I I get something I actually want and you get something you actually want instead of as both settling for what we don't really want so it this is often used for maybe not you know the the big stuff like the actual price but maybe some smaller things Um I, I hear you that you don't want to pay for the title search, and I ask all sellers to pay for the title search because, hey, you're the one who has to prove that you have clear title. But I'll tell you what, I can go ahead and pay for the title search if you'll agree to leave the appliances, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. that's the That kind of the smaller side issue is the best circumstance for that.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Well, and and as a as a sub layer like item B under this, mm-hmm. if it is about the price, a lot of times uh, I can do 125 if you'll take that in payments. Yeah, if I can. Right. <laughs> I can always do your price if we can agree to payments. And and you know, as as you said, Rather than both people getting less of what they do want, because <laughs> you know, I, if I said one hundred, I want to pay a hundred. If he said one fifty, I assume he actually wants one fifty. If we end up at one twenty five, I have less of what I want, and he has less of what he wants. But if we end up at at one fifty, at seven hundred fifty dollars a month for the next two hundred months, I'm happy, and if he's happy with that. Two that was a good trade as opposed to a split.
2: Exactly. So, uh, trading is almost always better than splitting.
1: So again, the phrase is, "Well, I'll tell you what I can do that if." Now, obviously, you want to know what your "if" is. <laughs> you want to have something. You want to. I mean, you want to have something in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like ideally, ideally, I always like to get X and I'm not getting X here. So I think X is worth whatever it is he's trying to, to trade before. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Mr. Drew about eight phrases you can say to sellers in different situations. Uh, we have three more to go, but we have to take a quick break. You can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com or give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vena Jones-Cox, talking today to Mr. Drew about eight things you can say to sellers in various situations. I know if you are actually bothering to write this stuff down, you are going to use these things in the next few days or weeks, and you will see how how well they work in terms of both making you more comfortable and also making your seller more comfortable and making him more willing to get to where he needs to be. It would be awesome If the really motivated sellers would just come right out and say, this is what I need. Can you do it? That's not the way the world works, as you know. And we're not in the business of beating people up and making them do something they can't do because that's not possible. But we are in the business of sort of finding out what their bottom line is and what they can do. And these things will help you do that. We are up to... Number six, if we can get through number eight, we will answer some of the questions that have come in on askvena at gmail.com. So let's 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 boogie here.
2: Okay, I'll try to hurry, but you know that's hard for me. Uh so number six is it sounds like you have a great house and aren't in a hurry to sell it. Have you thought about listing it?
1: Now why in the world would you ever say that?
2: Well, there, there are a host of reasons, and I'll I'll try to get through them quickly. Um, one is the answer to the answer to that, that question is often, well, I have tried listing it and you know, the, the, the result of that listing is always invariably it didn't sell, right? That's why they're talking to you. So you want to kind of get that out there, right? We're trying to elicit information from the seller and the more we know about their situation, the better deal we're going to be able to make for both, for both them and us. But what you're also doing is sort of driving home the point that, oh, really, you listed it and it and it didn't sell. You listed they...
1: it at what you're asking me for uh-huh. and it didn't sell. <laughs>
2: and uh, often a follow-up question that, that I use to that when they say, oh, well, I did, I had it listed for six months, you know, insert grumbling about real estate agents here that they almost invariably do, and, you know, it didn't sell and blah, 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 and sort of my... You know, my my left hook to follow the jab is the, how many offers did you get? And often the answer is you know none, or a couple that were you know dismissed out of hand. And then if I if I think that the the conversation is going to support it, I'll follow up with yet another question, which is how many showings did you have? And often that's a very low number, too. And what I'm trying to show them is that the market is trying to tell them that their price is wrong. You know, they've already done sort of the, the most widely recognized thing that sells houses, which is listed in the multiple listing service, and that didn't work. Therefore, it's not a matter of you just haven't spoken to the right seller yet, in all probability. The problem is, that your price is wrong. Um, and, and that's the big point there. But the other thing that, that, that this statement in question uh, does for you that, that I really like is it sounds like you have a great house and you aren't in a hurry to sell it. Sometimes their response to that is, well, no, I do need to sell it. I am in a hurry to sell it. And sure, it's a nice house. I mean, it's got good bones, but let me tell you a little more about it. (laughs) I think the reason that it didn't sell when I had it listed is because of that giant crack in the foundation, you know, or whatever, um, which sometimes puts them in in the great position of they're kind of beating up their own house. And, you know, when you're interviewing them about the condition of the house, they're trying to paint the best picture they can generally, right? Um, But this sort of prompts them in in a very gentle way, almost like, I don't know, uh, just a soft way to analyze why it didn't sell. So sometimes that's just all about price because they're asking too much money. Sometimes it's about condition. You know, more often it's a combination of the two. And they may not have ever thought about it in those terms before. They're fixated on a price. That's what they hope to get. And it's not until, you know, if someone says, well, that hasn't worked, has it, that they might take a step back and go, well, gosh, that hasn't worked, has it? Mm-hmm. That can be a valuable conversation to have.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do have a great house and they're not in a hurry to sell it. Yeah. In which case they should list it because yeah, they you aren't going to be able to help them because somebody with a, somebody who thinks whether their house is great or not if they think it's great and if they're not in a hurry to sell it, they are not a motivated seller. So by saying, have you thought about listing it, you know, in a non smarmy way, like seriously, have you thought about listing it? If you want to get the best price and you're not in a hurry. That, that's the way to go. That's how you're going to get your best price uh, is a way of sort of pushing them out the door. Cause you don't need to be talking to them anymore <laughs> with, without, and, and being helpful, right? Every, every, Every real estate investor should have a list of two or three really good high producing real estate agents that they can refer deals to they refer listings to so that they, so that they can actually help people who the investor themselves can't help, which is again what eighteen out of twenty of the people you talk to uh number seven
2: you should take that offer immediately,
1: okay, what offer is it I'm supposed to take? <laughs>
2: often when we're talking with sellers the one of the ways in which they try to sort of bend the the tone of the conversation is that they will talk about offers that they've already turned down i know this has happened to you probably literally hundreds of times and you know maybe you've mentioned a price maybe you haven't maybe you've felt out you know, the, a kind of range, or, or perhaps not even yet, but they're trying to sort of set the stage. You know, I had some, you know, guy come through here, and he he only offered me 12, and I told him no right off the bat, because I, you know, blah, 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 I ain't selling for 12. Um, and a great response to that, if it's true, I mean, don't out and out lie, right, um, is, well, that's actually sounds like better than i'm going to be able to do for you and honestly if you've got someone who's willing to pay you that much money for this property i think you should take it i think you should call them back right away and tell them yes because I, I and i know i'm cutting my own throat here but you're not doing better than that
1: and what is the purpose
2: well so here's what happens uh when, when well okay again multiple purposes one is if that really is their best option, then you were lightening your own karmic burden by pointing them in the right direction. right? It's, it's our job to help these people, um, and sometimes we make money. but we should always give them sound advice, no matter no matter whether it makes us money or not. But here's, here's the you know the self-interest side of the coin because what that whole conversation elicits from them is, well, Actually, that was four months ago, and the guy was supposed to close three months ago, and he hasn't returned my call in three months.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, okay how how serious was that offer?
1: Or you he s- he said it to me, but he never would put it in writing. Yeah. Or um, that was four years ago. Yeah. Or, or the-
2: <laughs> it was my brother-in-law, <laughs> and and it was four years ago, and he's still trying to come up with the money. <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Basically, you know the the self interested point here is you're, you, you were kind of calling them on on their statement about you know I've got a better offer I turned down a better offer than that or I've already turned down this offer you know really then then you should you should execute that well, okay, maybe it wasn't a real offer, or it wasn't an offer that went anywhere. Mm-hmm.
1: Or I know you've had people who've said, "Oh, well, okay, if you think that's better than I'm going to do, then they go back to the person, and it turns out not to be a real offer, and then they call you back because you were the one who gave them the good advice, right? Gave them
2: the truth, yes. What? There, there is something magical about treating people like decent human beings, <laughs> you know, that, that they want to do business with you.
1: All right, we promised eight, and we have two minutes left. So what is number eight, the eighth and final thing that you can say to sellers?
2: So why don't you go ahead and try that, and I'll check back in in a few weeks and see how it's going.
1: Okay, and at what what point would you say this? What has happened with a seller to make you say this?
2: Generally, I, I have made an offer, and what they've said is, well, what I'll do instead of taking that little money is I will... Fix it up myself and rent it. I will list it. I will go back to that guy who maybe had an offer before. But probably the most common thing, in, you know, in my memory, is then then I'll just keep it, or I'll fix it myself, or I'll refinance it, or I'll find the money, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is sort of wake them up out of the fog a little bit by saying, okay, you know, again, let me call you on that because I'm, I'm not going to fall over because you just said that and, and start babbling. But you go ahead and do that, and I'll check back in with you because what you're doing is reminding them of the passage of time. You're going to fix it up and re-rent it. If I call you two months from now, will it be fixed up and on the market for rent? Probably not.
1: Mm -hmm. So it leaves the door open for another conversation, particularly when you know that the person's not going to do what they said they were going to do. So many people say, I'm going to fix it up after I've had it vacant for three years. But now, now Now. that you've made me this offer, I'm going to fix it up.
2: (laughs) Now it's all changed.
1: So that is it. We got through number eight of our eight things to say to sellers. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Drew, for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for listening in. Hope you got some good stuff out of it. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.